Ezekiel chapter 25, verses 15 through 17. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines acted revengefully and took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy a never-ending enmity, therefore thus says the Lord God, behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will cut off the Carathites and destroy the rest of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. Now Ezekiel moves on to prophesy about Philistia. The Philistines, actually, if you know anything about your Bible history, they have been enemies of Israel way, way back for most of their history in the land. And you can even trace their hatred of Israel back to the time of Samson and even a little bit earlier. If you go back and read in the book of Judges the stories of Samson and the Philistines, and of course, as you know, David subdued the Philistines during his reign, but the Philistines had always been an enemy of Israel. We also see listed here the Carathites. The Carathites are a people who migrated to Philistia. Most people, Bible scholars say from the area of Crete, uh, but they moved and migrated to Philistia and joined the nation of the Philistines. So when it says he's going against Philistia and the Carathites, we're not going to take the time to do that tonight. I could have shown you all the places in the Bible where the Carathites are listed. It wouldn't have helped very much for, for this purpose. But if you want to do that, you can do it. The Carathites are listed throughout the stories of the Old Testament and the nation of Israel having interaction with them. But they were a group of people, most likely from Crete, that had migrated from Crete to Philistia and had joined with the nation of Philistia. So they're listed there as well. And you'll see them listed a little bit more later on tonight. So what I want to do is once again show you that Ezekiel is not the only one who prophesies against Philistia. As with all, with Moab and Ammon and Edom, Ezekiel didn't just prophesy about what was going to happen to them. There were other prophets as well. And so we're going to take a look at some of those. But I want you to pay close attention tonight as we do this, because some of these prophecies are going to be dealing with something that's going to happen to the Philistines in the time that the prophecy or near the time the prophecy was written. And others are going to be tied to down the road, which haven't happened yet. And you need to be paying attention to see which is which. So go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 28 through 32. In Isaiah chapter 14, starting in verse 28, Scripture says, In the year that King Ahaz died came this oracle. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken. By the way, the rod that had struck them at that time was Assyria. For from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying fiery serpent, and the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy lie down in safety. But I will kill your root with famine, and your remnant it will slay. Wail, O gate, cry out, O city, melt in fear, O Philistia, all of you, for smoke comes out of the north, and there is no straggler in its ranks." Will, what will one answer the messengers of the nation? The Lord has founded Zion, and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. So here we see Isaiah prophesying about the fact that Assyria had attacked them, but Assyria was kind of weak. And don't rejoice over the fact that the rod that struck you is broken, because there's going to come another attack, is what he says. And that actually is prophesying about a coming attack from the Babylonians. Now, Jeremiah talks about that as well. So go to Jeremiah 47, and you'll see that Jeremiah talks about the coming Babylonians. In Jeremiah 47, verses 1 through 7, the word of the Lord that came to the Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Thus says the Lord, Behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. 
They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out, and every inhabitant of the land shall wail at the noise of the stamping of the hooves of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels. The fathers look not back to their children, so feeble are their hands, because of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper that remains. For the Lord is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon has perished. O remnant of their valley, how long will you gash yourselves. Ah, sword of the Lord, how long till you are quiet? Put you, yourself into your scabbard. Rest and be still. How can it be quiet when the Lord has given it a charge against Ashkelon, against the seacoast, or the seashore he has appointed it? So here we see that Jeremiah is prophesying about the coming attack of the Babylonians. We saw that Assyria was uh, had attacked them, but he said, don't rejoice over the fact that the rod that has struck you is broken. There's going to come another one from the north, and that's the Babylonians coming down from the north to attack, and that's what Jeremiah is talking about here. But let's go to Joel, and you'll start to see that there are some prophecies that give hints to the fact that there's a coming judgment on Philistia that might not be from just from the Assyrians or the Babylonians. In Joel chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 8. For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and divided up my land, and have cast lots for my people, and have traded a boy for a prostitute, and have sold a girl for wine, and have drunk it. What are you to say to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I'll return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken." So here we see that in the prophecy tied to Joel 3 that we know pretty well, but in that day and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem and I gather all the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat, we know that's at the end of the battle of Armageddon when he judges all the nations. In the midst of this prophecy, he gives a specific message to Philistia. And he says, you guys have been taking people from Judah captive and people of Israel captive and selling them off. Well, there's going to come a time when I'm going to take them from all the nations that you sold them off to and I'm going to bring them back against you. And they're going to deal with you. So it's obvious that this is a time still yet coming. Go to Amos chapter 1. Does your, your and Joel just turn over one book. Amos chapter 1. Look at verses 6 through 8. For three, thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Now, we don't know when this is going to happen, but we see here that there's going to be a judgment coming from God against the Philistines, and the remnant of the Philistines are going to be judged and perish. Now, if you go with me to Zechariah chapter 9... There's a prophecy here, actually, that has two parts. It talks about the coming judgment of, actually, Alexander the Great. 
But also in here, you'll see that there's some hints at a future judgment that is more, more than just what Alexander the Great did. In Zechariah chapter 9, look at verses 1 through 8. It says, The oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and Damascus and its resting place. For the Lord has an eye on mankind and all the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also, which borders on it, Tyre and Sidon, that's in Philistia, so though they are very wise, Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be, like, be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too and writhe and shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah. And Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. Now again, we don't have time because all that we have to cover tonight, we don't have time to break down this whole prophecy, but the first part's dealing actually with what Alexander the Great did. I don't know if you know much of the history of what happened, but... Tyre and Sidon, it was an area that was an island, and they were really proud of the fact that nobody could get to them because you had to kind of come at them from the water and they could hold you off for a while. Alexander the Great, when he was conquering the known world at the time, he actually took the rubble from the cities that he had destroyed and built a causeway out to that island. And he built it so fast that they were blown away by how quickly he was able to pile up all that rubble into the water and build a causeway for his army to come. And they attacked Tyre and Siren and destroyed it. And Philistia and all the nation there around it was like, whoa. If you want to do a little research, it's an interesting study. Go and look at what Alexander the Great did to Tyre and Sidon and what he did to Philistia and all that when he was conquering. Pretty amazing story about how they built the causeway just by just piling the rubble from all the cities they had destroyed, and they made a bridge out there. Pretty much said, we'll get to you. And they just watched them build it and come out, and by the time they got there, the people were so afraid they had been destroyed. And it was interesting. But also in here, we see a hint of the fact that a mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod, and I'll cut off the pride of Philistia. And it goes on, and it says that they're going to become like the Jebusites. If you know anything about the Jebusites, the Jebusites had been amalgamated into the people of Israel. They were never totally taken over and destroyed, but they became amongst the people of Israel, and they lived in the land of the people of Israel. And he said, and you'll see this later tonight, that at some point, Philistia is going to be taken over by Israel, and anybody of the Philistines and the Philistia that are left are going to become a people, part of the people of Israel in a sense. All right? So keep that in mind. Two more passages I want to show you of other prophets talking about the judgment of Philistia. And we're going to spend most of our time tonight, though, dealing with when will this future judgment of Philistia happen. And it's a very interesting study because there's debate out there amongst Bible scholars. And I'm going to show you tonight that there was a direction I've leaned for years. But because of my study of this more and more, I don't lean that way anymore. And I lean in a different direction. And I'm going to show you scripturally why. All right. But before we get there, let me show you two more passages. Go to Obadiah and just look at verse 19. Obadiah, verse 19. It says, Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, 
And those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines, and they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. So we know at some future time, the people of the Shephelah are going to come and possess the area of the Philistia and the land of the Philistines. Again, like I told you, there's going to come a point where because of what God does in Israel, that the nations that are around them that are their enemies are going to be taken over by Israel, and given that Israel is going to be given that land that had been promised to them, and all these nations, Moab and Ammon and Edom and Philistia, who are around them, are actually going to be conquered, and the Jews are going to live in all those areas. One last passage. Go to Zephaniah chapter 2. Zephaniah chapter 2, and look at verses 1 through 7. Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Gather together, yes, gather together, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. For Gaza shall be deserted, and Ashkelon shall be become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the Carathites! The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastures with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze. And in the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening, for their Lord God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. So here again we see the prophecy saying that Philistia is going to be taken over by the Israelites and by the people of Judah, and they're going to live in their land, and no more inhabitants of Philistia are going to be there. It's going to be given over to the people of Israel. So the big debate we're going to deal with tonight, the big question we're going to deal with tonight, the rabbit we're going to chase tonight, because I believe it's catchable, the rabbit we're going to chase tonight is, is when is this going to happen and there is debate amongst Bible scholars on the when of, I'm going to show you, we've been, we'll go back to chapter 25 of Ezekiel real quick, and take a look at the nations in chapter 25 again in your headings that have been prophesied about. The first one was what? Ammon, very good. And then there was Moab, and then after Moab was Edom, and after Edom, Philistia. All right, so you got Moab, you got Ammon, you got Edom, and you got Philistia. There is actually a prophecy in the book of Psalms concerning these nations. These nations are all right now still on the border of Israel. They're the ones that are bordering right now on Israel, and they're their enemies all the way around Lebanon, Jordan, so on, Syria, and different things, different nations that are around there. And interestingly enough, there's a psalm that has a prophecy about those nations. Go with me to Psalm 83. Psalm 83, I'm going to read to you the whole psalm, but look closely at what it says. It says, A song or a psalm of Asaph, O God, do not keep silence, do not hold your peace, be still, O God. 
For behold, or be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Does that sound familiar? Have been people saying that about Israel right now? They say, come, let them wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord against you, and they make a covenant the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher, that's Assyria, has also joined them, and they are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna. Who said, let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. Oh my God, make them like a whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. So here we see Asaph listing, interestingly enough, those specific nations that have been prophesied by Ezekiel against those nations, and also the prophets like Zephaniah and Zechariah and Amos and Obadiah and Jeremiah and Isaiah. They've all been prophesying specifically about these certain nations that are on the borders of Israel. And in Psalm 83, as it says that those nations gather together to conspire against Israel to wipe them off the face of the earth. And the prayer is, Lord, do to them what you did to these other nations years ago through Israel. Wipe them off the face of the earth. Now, and I used to lean this direction. There is a teaching out there amongst Bible teachers of prophecy that there's going to be a war coming soon prior to the Gog and Magog battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39 in which Israel defeats their enemies all on their border. Now, the reason that Bible scholars say that there's going to be a war prior to the Ezekiel 38 and 39 Gog and Magog battle, which I'm going to touch on a little bit tonight, the reason they say that there's going to be a war prior to that, and I'm going to show you scripturally that why that is, they have three main reasons why they think that what happens here or what's prophesied about here in Psalm 83 is actually talking about a war that's going to happen prior to I'm going to show you scripturally this, but I'll lay it out for you now so that you'll be ready for it. These Bible teachers that think there's going to be a war from, between Israel and the surrounding nations, these nations here, that in which Israel defeats their enemies prior to Gog and Magog is threefold reasons why. First one is this, and I'll show it to you in a second. When the nation of Israel, or sorry, when the nation of Israel is attacked by Gog and Magog, when Gog and Magog come, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, to come down to Israel and attack, the nations that are listed that are coming to attack Israel do not include these nations here that we've heard prophesied about. In other words, it lists Russia, it lists Turkey, it lists Iran, it lists other nations that are going to come against Israel. But ironically and interestingly enough, and I'll show you this in Ezekiel 38 and 39, the prophecy in Ezekiel 38 specifically that lists the nations that come in the Gog and Magog battle does not include any of their enemies that are right now on their border. And so the prophecy people are saying something has happened to these nations that are on their border 
prior to the Gog and Magog battle because otherwise they would have joined with them in the attack, but they must have been defeated prior to that. Secondly, as you're going to see, and I'll show you tonight in the scriptures, the scripture says that when Gog and Magog come to attack Israel, Israel at that time is living at peace with unwalled villages. They're not, no one makes them afraid. They don't have any bars on their windows. There's no walls like they have now in the nation of Israel. And they're saying the only way that Israel could ever live at peace and have no walls and unwalled villages is if those nations have been defeated and they're no longer there. Therefore, there's going to be a battle of Psalm 83 prior to in which Israel defeats their enemies. And that's why Gog and Magog come, because they're living at peace. And a third reason that they, they list is also there are prophecies, which I'll show you tonight, that say that the nation of Israel defeats those enemies, those neighbors around them, that the nation of Israel themselves attack them and defeat them. So they put those three things together, along with Psalm 83, and they teach that there is going to be a war prior to the Gog and Magog battle, in which Israel and the Israeli Defense Force defeats the enemies all around them, and they are able to live at peace, and then after that, the Gog and Magog battle has to happen. I used to lean in that direction. But again, I keep studying myself. And the more I studied, the more I came to realize, I came to find scriptures that show that when Jesus comes back, those nations still exist. So they couldn't have been defeated prior to the Gog and Magog battle, like people say. And so I'm going to show you both sides tonight, let you choose whichever way you want to go. And, and, but let's just scripturally quickly look at what they teach and the fact that they are not there listed in the Gog and Magog battle. Go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and look at verses 1 through 6. Now, let me also, as you are turning there, just give you a little commercial for when we finally ever do get to Ezekiel 38. A lot of prophecy people that I respect and people that I actually know that are out there and well-known Bible teachers believe that the Gog and Magog battle is going to happen prior to the tribulation period. A lot of prophecy people teach that it happens prior to the tribulation period. I am when we get to Ezekiel 38 and 39, I'm going to show you why I don't believe it happens prior, but it has to happen after or actually during the tribulation near the end of the tribulation period. I actually believe the Gog and Magog battle that will begin, it's a war that begins I believe sometime around the midpoint of the tribulation, culminating in the battle of Armageddon. And I'll just show you, give you the brief reasons right now why, so that you'll be with me when I explain to you what I want to explain to you tonight. But the scripture shows us, if you were to go read Ezekiel 38 and 39, that actually from the time that God defeats Gog and Magog on the mountains of Israel, and as you know from the prophecies, if you read it, God defeats them all by himself in such a supernatural way that the scripture says from that moment on, Israel turns to the Lord. If it's prior to the tribulation period, it can't be that from that moment on they turn to the Lord because they're going to confirm a covenant with the Antichrist. But the scripture clearly says in more than one place that from the moment God defeats the enemies of Gog and Magog on the mountains of Israel in such a supernatural way that the whole world believes, Israel from that moment on turns to the Lord. Has to happen after. Can't happen prior to. And on top of that, if you were to take a look at Ezekiel 39 and the bird feast that is prophesied in Ezekiel 39, where God says to all the birds, come and eat the flesh of generals and kings, it is word for word the exact same bird feast of Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom and he defeats all his enemies at the battle of Garmageddon. 
it is, you'll check them, they're word for word the exact same. So in Revelation 19, John was writing about the bird feast prophesied in Ezekiel 39. And he was talking about the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation. Therefore, I think Ezekiel 39 is Battle of Armageddon. Now, the reason why most prophecy people actually teach that the Gog and Magog battle has to happen prior to the tribulation is because in the prophecy it talks about after the defeat of all these people by God, people go and gather the, the dead bones and they mark all the dead bones and they gather all the stuff that is left over on the mountains, all the stuff that has just fallen to the ground. They gather it for seven years. Well, they just assume, well, that means it has to be prior to the tribulation period, and during the tribulation, that seven-year tribulation period, they'll be gathering it. But let me ask you a question, those of you that have been through a revelation study. Is anybody going to be gathering anything in the second half of the tribulation period? No, they're going to be running for their lives. I mean, the stars are falling from the sky. The asteroids are hitting the earth. The Antichrist is going after Israel. They won't be gathering things during the tribulation period. I got no problem with them gathering it during the millennial, beginning of the millennial kingdom marking all the dead bones and setting up those places to be pure, clean and as the people come and deal with it and gathering all the stuff. So when I talk about where I'm going to end up tonight, that I think that the judgment on these nations, Philistia, Edom, Moab, Ammon, it's going to happen when Jesus comes back. I'm talking at the end when that whole battle of Armageddon happens, which I believe is also the Gog and Magog battle all together. God's going to do it all at once at that time. But According to Ezekiel 38, look at verses 1 through 6. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog the, in the, of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Tagarma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. See where it lists who's going to be joining with them in this battle, and Ammon's not mentioned, Moab's not mentioned, Edom's not mentioned, Philistia's not mentioned. All the nations that are right there on the border of Israel, that are enemies of Israel, aren't in that group. Prophecy people say that means that they've already been defeated. That's lazy Bible study, folks. You just can't assume from the fact that they're not listed that you know what happened to them. We don't. But they're not a part of it. I'm going to deal with tonight at the end why I believe they're not a part of this 38 and 39 battle. But we'll get to that at the end. The second thing, like I told you, the first reason why they say is they take Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, 1 through 6, and they say those nations in Psalm 83 aren't a part of the battle in 38, so it has to happen. They're defeated prior to it. They also go in verses 7 through 16 and show that they're going to be living in unwalled villages. Look at what it says. It says, Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will divide 
devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Charshish and all its leaders will say to you, have you come to see spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, and you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So here we see that when Gog and Magog battle happens, Israel's living at peace, secure, no walls, Unwalled villages, no bars on their gates, they're at peace, and that's when they come and attack. The prophecy people say, how could they live at peace if the nations that are around them right now that are giving them all the belly aches are still there? They have to be gone, they're not listed in the battle, and therefore with Psalm 83, they assume that Israel has defeated them. And real quickly, I'll show you just a couple of scriptures that show that the, there's prophecy that say that Israel will defeat these people. Go back to Ezekiel 25 and look at verses 12 through 14. We just read that a few weeks ago in this part of our study. In Ezekiel 25, verse 12, thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast, and I will make it desolate from Teman even to Dedan. They shall fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath, and they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God. So here we see that the people of Israel are going to be used to deal with the Edomites. That's, they use that as well, and they say, therefore, that shows that the Israeli defense forces are going to attack them, and they're going to defeat them. Go to Jeremiah 49, verses 1 and 2 real quick. And Jeremiah 49, verses 1 and 2. Concerning the Ammonites, thus says the Lord, has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall become a desolate mound and its villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says the Lord. So they take that verse and they say that shows that Israel's going to go against the Ammonites, and therefore Israel is going to defeat them, and there's going to be this Psalm 83 war prior to Gog and Magog. One last passage, Obadiah, Obadiah, just verse 18. In verse 18 of Obadiah, the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau a stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So here we see, again, the prophecy says that God is going to use the Israelites to attack the house of Esau as a fire and a flame. And so they put together the fact that those nations aren't listed in the, the, the 
confederate of nations coming against them in the battle of Gog and Magog. They put together the fact that Israel's living at peace and safety and security with no walls anymore, that that means those nations can't be there anymore, they say. And they also show these prophecies that say Israel's going to attack those nations. Therefore, when they put together Psalm 83, that those nations are listed gathering against Israel, and they have prayed, Lord, do to them what you did to Oreb and Zeb and those nations they assume, and I'm going to tell you, for the longest time I leaned in this direction as well, that there's going to be a war prior to the Gog and Magog war where Israel defeats their enemies and gets more property. It may still happen. We don't know. But like I said, as I began to dig more and more into this, as I was looking at our study and looking at the prophecies about Ammon and Moab and Philistia and Edom, I started to see some things that made me say, I'm not so sure those people are right. Because I'm going to show you tonight that I actually have found many places that specifically say that when Jesus comes back to the earth to defeat the nations himself, he attacks Moab and Edom and the Ammonites. If they were already defeated and annihilated by the Israelite defense forces prior to the Gog and Magog battle, how could Jesus be defeating those nations when he comes back if they still exist? I'm not so sure that the people that say the Psalm 83 war is going to happen prior are right. And let me show you what I mean scripturally. Go to Numbers chapter 24. All the way back to Balaam, there's a prophecy. If you don't remember the story, go to Numbers chapter 24, verses 15 through 19. There's a story of Balaam, the prophet. And Balak realizes that Israel's becoming blessed by God and becoming more and more powerful and gathering more land. And he pays and offers money to Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam says, all I can do is whatever God puts in my mouth is going to come out. He said, that's fine. Just go stand up here and curse the Israelites. And when he gives his first oracle, listen to what the first oracle is. Verse 15 of chapter 24 of Numbers. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, and he knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, that's Israel, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of who? Well, I thought we've been told that the Israelites defeat the Moabites before Jesus comes back. Moab must still exist when Jesus comes back. And break down the son, all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. So here we see Moab and Edom listed as nations that Jesus, the one, the star coming from Jacob, the scepter from Israel, who's going to rule and have dominion, way, 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 way back, Balaam, when he prophesied about the future, says, I see him, but not now. I see him, but he's not near. But there's going to come an individual from Israel who's going to have dominion and he's going to defeat Moab and he's going to defeat Edom. So now we see that they have to still exist when Jesus comes back. They couldn't have been annihilated. 
But wait, there's more. Go to Isaiah 34. I don't want you to build it on just one passage. Isaiah 34. Look at verses 1 through 10. Draw near, O nations, and hear to hear, and give attention, O peoples, with the earth here and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of all their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll, and their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. By the way, when's this happening? At the end of the tribulation period. Clearly. This is very clearly describing God's judgment of all the nations of the world at the end of the tribulation period when he comes back and sets up his kingdom. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon whom? Edom. So it, Israel couldn't have defeated their enemies and annihilated them like the prophecy said were going to happen prior to Jesus coming back. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going after Edom. Upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and the young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their souls shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. So who's dealing with Edom? Jesus. And when is he dealing with them? At the end of the tribulation period, when he comes and sets up his kingdom, when he, at the end of the tribulation period, and the stars fall from the sky and the sun no longer shines and all that, well, the prophecies about that day, Jesus is dealing with them himself. They still exist. Go to Isaiah 63. You're in 34. Jump over to 63. Who is this who comes from Edom? In crimson garments from Basra, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like he who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the, my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger, and made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Who's doing this? It's Jesus. And where does he begin? You see it in verse 1. Where does he begin his killing of the people and judging of the nations? Edom. Remember, that's where the people of Israel have run during the second half of the tribulation period, into Edom, into Basra, where they're being protected by God during the last three and a half years. When Jesus comes back, he comes back to where the Jews are hiding, and he atones for their sin, and they become believers, and then he starts his battle against all the nations that are gathered in the valley of Jehoshaphat and the battle of Armageddon, which I believe is the end of the, the, the Gog and Magog battle. And he defeats all his enemies, and he heads to Jerusalem to set up the kingdom. The Jews come with him at that time, and we are going to come with him at that time. 
But it's clear, Edom still exists when he comes back and sets up his kingdom. Also, some of those same prophecies that I showed you earlier that lists that Israel judges the nations around them, some of those same prophecies say that Jesus is the one who judges those nations. Go back to Obadiah. Look at verses 1 through 4, then we're going to look at verses 8 and 9, and then 15 through 21. Obadiah 1 through 4, 8 and 9, and then 15 through 21. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Again, the word Lord concerning Edom. Go down to verses 8 and 9. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Again, Jesus saying, I'm going to be the one doing it. Look at verses 15 through 21. Those of the Negev shall possess... Sorry, I jumped too far. Go to verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble, and they shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So here we see that when is it that Israel's going to possess their neighbor's property? When Jesus comes back and judges all the nations. Look again at verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. When Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom and judges all the nations, that's when Israel's going to get that land. I don't believe it's going to happen prior to. I may be wrong. But there's more scripture that says that God's the one doing it when he comes back. Go to Jeremiah 49. Look at verses 17 through 22. Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all his disasters as when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown, says the Lord. No man shall dwell there. No man shall sojourn in her. Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against the perennial pasture, I will suddenly make him run away from her and I will appoint over her whoever I choose. For who is like me? God says, who will summon me? God says, what shepherd can stand before me? God says, therefore, hear the plan of the Lord that he has made against Edom 
and the purposes that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman. Even the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away. Surely their folds shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of their fall, the earth shall tremble. The sound of their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Basra. And the heart of the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. Again, Jesus is saying, I'm the one doing it and Edom will be defeated by me. Let me show you a couple other passages real quick. Go to Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, look at verses 6 through 12. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 12. On this mountain of the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich full food of marrow, and aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain and Moab shall be trampled down in his place. And straw, as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands and the high fortifications of his walls. He will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground to the dust. Here again, talking about when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom and how awesome it's going to be. And he's going to deal with the nations and death's going to be taken care of. Who's he going to deal with at the same time? Moab. They have to still exist. They couldn't have been annihilated by Israel prior to the Gog and Magog battle because when Jesus comes back to set up on the kingdom, no matter when you put the Gog and Magog battle, whether prior to the tribulation or after, when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, he's going to deal with Moab. He's going to deal with Edom. He's going to deal with the Ammonites. He's going to deal with these nations. So they must still exist. I'm going to show you one more passage, and then we're going to come to our conclusion for tonight. Go to Joel chapter 3 again, and we're going to look at the verses after where I left off last time. We've only always read Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and tonight I showed you a little bit more and how Philistia is listed. But look at verses 9 through 21 in Joel 3. Proclaim, among, proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. That's interesting. We see a battle forming here. The nations are all called to gather where? The Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is, again, we know the Battle of Armageddon. And God's bringing his warriors. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of Decision. For the day the Lord is near in the Valley of Decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I'm going to read that to you again, because we're going to go back to Ezekiel 25 in our close. And I want you to hear these words again from the book of Joel. 
Verse 17 of chapter 3. So that you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Shittim. By the way, if you don't know, we'll get to there in chapter 40 and following. When God sets up his kingdom in, in the earth, and Jesus sets his kingdom on the earth, the temple's going to be rebuilt, and the temple of a river is going to flow from the base of the temple, from out from the temple, down toward the, the Dead Sea, and it's going to be so pure. It's going to turn everything fresh. It's just going to be an amazing time. And here we see that a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, God said. Blood I have not avenged for the Lord dwells in Zion. Again, in this prophecy about the last days and the battle of Armageddon, gather in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Go ahead, all you nations. War, God, bring your warriors down. There's going to be a battle there, and I'm going to sit and judge the nations. Oh, it's going to be an awesome time, because when I set up my kingdom, the hills are going to drip sweet wine and milk, and the river's going to flow from the temple. Oh, and at the same time, I'm going to judge Edom. So has Israel defeated Edom prior to? They couldn't have. It's obvious they still exist when Jesus comes back. So... Go back to Ezekiel 25. Remember verse 17, so that you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In chapter 25, in the prophecy against Ammon, look at verse 5. At the end of verse 5, well, we'll just read all of verse 5. I'll make Rabbah a pasture for camels and Ammon a fold for flocks. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, uh, he says, Therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you, and you will hand be, I will hand you over as plunder to the nations, and I will cut you off from the peoples, and will make you perish out of the countries, and I will destroy you. And there it is again. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Go to verse 11. In his prophecy against Moab, look at verse 11. And I will execute judgments upon Moab, then they will know that I am the Lord. Look at verse 17. I, and against the prophecy against Philistia. I will execute great vengeance upon them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. Do you see it, folks? It's tied to that prophecy in Joel. It's tied together there. When, is the, when are these nations going to know that he's the Lord? When he comes back and sets up his kingdom. If the IDF or the Israeli Defense Forces are the ones who defeat those nations, will everybody know that God's the Lord? No. That'll only happen when Jesus comes back. Now, I'm going to give you a quiz. Jeremy, you were there last night, so you can't answer. Did you notice that he doesn't say that about Edom? Did you catch it? In the prophecy against Ammon, he says twice, then they'll know that I'm the Lord. In the prophecy against Moab, he says, then they'll know that I'm the Lord. In the prophecy against Philistia, he says, then they'll know that I'm the Lord. But in his prophecy against Edom, he says in verse 14, I'll lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath, and they shall know my vengeance. 
declares the Lord. But he doesn't say they will know that he is the Lord. I've told you already in our study why that is. Does anybody remember why? I'm sorry? Good for you. Did you catch that? They're going to be totally wiped out. If you remember back in Jeremiah at the chapter 49, verse 6, when it talked about how, and in the end, I'll restore the fortunes of Moab and how they'll still exist, and about the Ammonites, and at the end, I'll restore the fortunes of Ammon. He doesn't say that about Edom. Esau. The, es the, the Edomites, those descendants of Esau, will not be a part of the millennial kingdom. They will be utterly wiped out. They're going to know his vengeance, but Philistia, Ammon, Moab, who the prophecies hint will be restored in the millennial kingdom, they will know that he's the Lord. There are going to be survivors of those nations who are going to be a part of the people of Israel, living amongst the people of Israel, and they're going to worship the Lord. But the Edomites will not. Now, in closing, go to Isaiah chapter 2. Here's one, the biggest reason why I think that the defeating of those nations will be done by Jesus and not by Israel. Oh, of course, he'll use them as he gathers, his, uh, gathers against them in battle. And Israel will, will dispossess all those who dispossess them, like the scripture said. But go to Isaiah chapter 2. And look at verses 12 through 22. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up. Against all the oaks of Bashan. Against all the lofty mountains and against all the uplifted hills. Against every high tower. Against every fortified wall. Against all the ships of Tarshish. Against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled. And the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. I'm going to keep reading, but let me just ask you. If Israel defeats their enemies, who gets the glory? Israel. The day that these nations are going to be dealt with and judged, the prophecies that we've been seeing pointed to, are, I believe, going to happen not prior to the Gog and Magog battle, but actually culminate in the battle of Armageddon when Jesus comes back and defeats them all at the same time. Because then, from that point on, those nations that are allowed to survive will know that he's the Lord. And he set a day in which he alone will be exalted and the idols are going to utterly pass away. The people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord. Sound like Revelation? And from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for what, of, of what account is he? God says on that day that he set to judge the nations, he's done it so he alone will get the glory and nobody else. And he alone is going to be the one who does it. So I used to lean that there's going to be a Psalm 83 war prior to Gog and Magog. I don't anymore. Because like I've been trying to teach you, build your doctrine from a, not from a few verses, but from the Holy Scripture. I could have easily tonight just taught from Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, 1 through 6, and verses 7 through 19, and convinced you that there's going to be a war prior to Gog and Magog 
in which the nation of Israel defeats their enemies. And that's why when the Gog and Magog battle happens, they're not there and they're living at peace. And you might have believed me, but I wouldn't have been showing you the whole of Scripture. Do you understand the importance of knowing Genesis to Revelation? There were so many other passages that clearly showed those nations exist when Jesus comes back. They couldn't have been annihilated. And I leaned in that direction, but the more I studied the Word of God, the more I come to realize I'm still learning too. This is good for me to teach the Word to you because it makes me dig, and I hope to inspire you to do the same. So we're going to answer this question then. Okay, Jim? If Edom still exists when Jesus comes back, and Philistia still exists when Jesus comes back, and Moab and Ammon and all those nations that are right there on the border of Israel right now, their enemies who are lobbing grenades into their, into their land and rockets into their land and making them build walls and have checkpoints and all this stuff, if they still exist, how in the world can Israel be living at peace with unwalled villages when Gog and Magog come to attack Israel? Now, I'm going to give you the honest biblical answer first. I don't know. And nobody knows. But I'm going to speculate. And I, I've always taught you, when I speculate, I'm going to tell you I'm speculating. But whenever I speculate, I will only speculate if I believe I can show it from Scripture. I'm speculating here. And I believe I can show it from Scripture. We're not going to turn there. I'm just going to reference it. But possibly the reason that Israel is living at peace with unwalled villages at the time of the Gog and Magog battle, is the possibility is tied to the fact that remember the Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant with the many for a seven-year period. Somehow, some way, Israel's going to be allowed to rebuild their temple, and it's going to be on the Temple Mount. There's going to have to be some real serious negotiations that have gone on for the, even the, the Muslims to allow the temple to be rebuilt, for the Antichrist to step into it, don't you think? Maybe the reason that those nations in Psalm 83 that are listed to conspire against Israel aren't listed in the group attacking Israel when Gog and Magog comes is because those nations have confirmed a covenant of peace with Israel. And they've signed a deal that says we won't attack. And for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, remember, Israel's living at peace because the Antichrist confirms that covenant. We don't know. But we do know this much. When Jesus comes back, those nations are still going to be there. And he's going to deal with them on the day that he gets glory from everyone himself because of what he does. I love you guys. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.